If you've been with us regularly, uh, whilst I've been preaching over the last little while, we've been uh, going through the letter to the Hebrews. We've spent a considerable amount of time over the last weeks and months in Hebrews chapter 11. Today, we embark in chapter 12. And it kind of feels we've been set up already through worship to this point. Just hearing that word just now might feel like you're crawling but God calls us to run. That's a very brief paraphrase. But what does the writer say here? Therefore, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Effectively, what we see here is our author's application of what he's just been saying. He's led us through this magnificent picture, this magnificent story, these these wonderful examples of God's people living by faith. We see as we go through, as we've been through chapter 11, we can pick out so many different characters. We can see Enoch walked with God. We can see Abraham left his homeland. He went to a place that God would show him. You see that Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, they lived by faith as well. And see that by faith, Moses turned away from all the riches that he could have in Egypt. All these different examples and many more. And he tells us here, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Since we see all of these, we're we're spoiled for choice. We can look at so many different examples of those who bear witness to believe in God. Those who bear witness to God's power at work through his people as they believe him, to God's great plan and purpose. Because ultimately, he's not just giving us examples He tells us a great, he unveils a great story of what God has done. You see, he picks up right at the beginning, by faith we believe that, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. He goes right back to the beginning and he leads us through. He sees, look, then there was Abel. And then we can see Enoch and we can see many others. And we see God called a man named Abraham and he drew him out. And And it goes on through his family line. And yes, it led to Egypt, but then God called his people out of Egypt. God, he's painted this massive picture, this great story. It's not just, oh yeah, look at Moses. He did well. Oh, look at Abraham. He was a good guy. He's painting a great picture. Look, look what God has done through the ages. 
So he's not just saying, since, since these guys all did pretty well, saying, look, since we're aware of all that God has done, since we see this great story, this plan of God, that all of these bear witness to, that by faith we see all of this, then what is our response? And as he enters into chapter 12, he paints this picture of a race to run. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. We see all these great examples of faith who held fast, who believed God. Therefore, having seen that, having seen them, having looked at it all, we're called to respond. We see this life of faith pictured as a race to run. He calls us to run. He calls his listeners to run the race in response. And as we look at these verses, he exhorts us in kind of in two parts. And we can look at them and we could kind of think it's what we're called to do and who we're called to focus on. Because firstly, we're called to throw things off and to persevere. And as he goes on, we see we're called to fix our eyes and to consider him. And we can think of it very starkly as, well, this is what we need to do, and this is who we need to believe. But actually, right at the outset, as we start our author, all the way through, he's looking, he's targeting, this is about your attitude, this is about your heart, this is all about who it's ultimately about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And his, his, whole, his whole attitude, his whole exhortation, his great encouragement is, look, are we captivated by this? Are we captivated by this great cloud of witnesses, this great story that God has laid out? Ultimately, are we captivated by God who has done it all? This wonderful picture of the plan of God. Are we captivated? We're caught up in God's great story. He's caught us up into. Well, if so, then let's go for it. But we're going to look at those two different parts that I've talked about. Let's look at verse there. Let's look at verse one. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Throw off all that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now actually, coming off the back of chapter 11, if we, if we kind of think with ourselves for a minute, we might be surprised this is the first thing he says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by these great examples of faith, this great wonder of believing God, trusting him, we might have expected, therefore, since we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, then you too live by faith. Therefore, believe him. Or even straight to, therefore, run with perseverance after him. But he doesn't. The first thing he says is, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You see, our writer's so clear, this is so important. 
He's not dodging any issues. It'd be easy just to go, have faith, believe. But he's clear, we're called to trust in him alone. It is by faith, there's nothing we can do. So therefore, everything else, let's get rid of it. Let's throw it off. Throw off everything that hinders is so clearly the appropriate response. He's painting this clear, particularly as he's looking at it in the sense he's painting this picture. It's like running a race. It's like running a race. And quite clearly, it's hard to run a race when we're carrying extra weights and extra, ob- extra things that hinder us, extra things that will hold us back. Running, carrying a backpack is not a lot of fun. I know. I've done it. Sometimes it's necessary. Run. There's so many things that could hold us back, could hinder us. Or there's this vivid language, sin that entangles. It's very vivid language. You can even picture kind of thorns or ropes twisting around you, holding you back. It's a clear picture. If we're going to run, if we want to throw off everything that hinders us, we don't want to be carrying extra things, extra, extra stuff. I can look at my own experience of a couple of years ago, I started doing park runs. It was, you run 5K on a Saturday morning. I'm not, I'm not looking for that to be impressive. It's not. But... I know that starting two years ago, I I can say, starting two years ago, I was probably a bit heavier than I am now. That wasn't really good for running park runs. And so when I I ran my fastest park run, I was probably a bit lighter. It's good. I've run run to work carrying a backpack. It's a lot harder than running a park run on a Saturday morning. See, again, none of this is to, to be impressed by. I'm giving an example, okay? I know you're not impressed. It's good. But this Saturday, running park run, these, these examples, I'm, I'm hoping will be useful in a minute. This Saturday at park run, twice, this is, this is, now, you can have sympathy. Now, this, no, you won't have sympathy. You'll say, you're an idiot. Why didn't you tie your shoelaces properly? Which is fair enough. Twice, during a 5K run, my shoelaces came undone. I think I double-knotted them. Now, you're going to say there's no way you double-knotted them, Rich. They wouldn't have come undone. But twice, they came undone. And the point was, I had to stop to do them up because otherwise, at some point, those shoelaces were going to cause me a big problem. They might not have done. I might have got away with it. But I was going to get tangled up in them. So I had to stop and do them up. Okay, we'll come back to them. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, I'm still wearing the backpack. We'll get rid of the backpack soon. Paul in 1 Corinthians looks at a similar, similar picture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse 24. He, again, he uses the picture of running a race and he talks about, look, it's something to go at. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians, you see this sense. This is something we're going at. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, look, seeing all this, this great cloud of witnesses, this plan of God, this thing that we've been caught up into, I want to run after him with everything. I want to run the race. I want to stay the course. It's a single-minded sense. I'm not going to run with a backpack on my back. I'm not going to run with my wallet in my pocket, with my phone in my pocket, or with my keys in my pocket. I'm going to have to keep the microphone in my pocket. Throw off everything that hinders it's possible. I can run. I've run here with a backpack on my back, carrying books and a laptop. You can do it. He's saying, look, if you seriously want to run, if you want to run after him, if you want to go in faith, get rid of it. You might think they're good things, but get rid of it. Our writer's pointing to a single-mindedness. pointing partly to the fact we don't invite God into our lives, we give our lives to him. So therefore, let's throw off everything else. I remember Dave cutting at the All Together, and several others had similar words, but he, he gave that word, the last All Together, if you were here. We can so easily get into a picture where we have the box that is our lives, and we invite God to come in and be a part of that box. It's like, that's not what it is. God rescues us and brings him into his box, if you like. Give everything to him. Everything is his. And that's Paul's attitude we see in in Philippians 3, verse 7. In Philippians 3, and verse 7, we see Paul's talking about all the stuff that was going for him. You could see, he's saying, well, as a, as a Jew, I did very well. I was, I was zealous. I, was, I did all these things. But then he says this in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see Paul's attitude, it's like, there's Christ. Look what he's done for me. Look what he's done. Therefore, everything else is rubbish. Anything else that I once considered was of some value is nothing compared to knowing him. So our writer tells us, throw off everything. And the sin that's so easily entangled. Why? So we can run with perseverance. He started this 
in, in, right at the, in chapter 10, before he even embarked on chapter 11, he tells us in chapter 10, verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. He's calling us to persevere. You see, this picture of running, it's certainly a picture of a marathon and not of a sprint. Our writer's left no illusion as we've gone through chapter 11. He's not left no illusion that it's going to be easy. It can be, it can be hard work. There can be struggles to face. If we remember back even to last time in here, what more shall I say? Chapter 11, verse 32. I don't have time to tell you about all these others, but remember what they faced, all the things that they went through. Even the, even the victories, who through faith administered kingdoms, sorry, conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. But he goes on. Some faced jeers and flogging even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. He's left us in no illusion that it's always some kind of easy path. We don't just run kind of downhill on a travelator that's kind of moving us in the right direction. He's given us a picture, this is, yes, you will face all sorts of things. You may face persecution, you may face hardships. In the running analogy, there can be very long uphill stretches, steep hills that need to be climbed. But you see, what our author is crying is not just, oh, well, you better work hard then. No, his cry is, look, look at all this. And therefore, when you face trials, when you face persecution, don't be put off. Don't be swayed by it. Don't be swayed by these circumstances. Don't be swayed by the persecution. Can't you see? God's been with his people in all, sort, in, in all these different things all through the ages. Don't be put off. But what is our reaction to be? We persevere. We run with perseverance. But you see, it's not just a cry of, come on, work harder, persevere. It's not a big shout of the law, you must persevere. But it's a gracious encouragement to press on after him. Remember, we see this great story, we see this great plan of God. This is what we're caught up into. He's caught us up into it. It's because of Jesus. Jesus has done it. So therefore, yes. Keep going. Run with perseverance. So are we captivated? Yes. If we're captivated, we're convinced. Yes, we want to run with perseverance. Therefore, let's go back to it. Therefore, we throw off everything that hinders. goes on to say, the sin that so easily entangles, let's be ruthless with sin. If you remember, if you were here, Ben spoke recently from Numbers 25, told us the story of Phineas. 
a point of God's zeal for his honour. And he looked at dealing with sin, with putting it to death. I remember on the day, I was struck with this at the the 3.30 meeting. I was very struck. We could easily go, oh yeah, Ben's talking about sin. And maybe the week before, I was talking about faith. I was struck there and saying, look, don't see this as two different messages. Two different things on very different ends of the spectrum. Well, you know, that's all about faith and looking at God and and believing him. This is about sin and dealing with something. And you see, our, our writer draws it together, says, no, we want to throw off all this stuff so that our eyes are fixed on him. We can so easily get so boxy, if you like, I know this is all about living by faith. That's about dealing with sin. Well, keep them separate. Now, our writer calls us to come and say, no, you see, if we're going to run with perseverance, if we're going to keep our eyes fixed on him, if we're going to keep running, then we need to deal with the sin that so easily entangles. Sin that can so easily get a hold. We need to come and repent and deal with it. Of that sense, as, as Neil shared earlier, that sense of repentance is not a harsh command. It's an invitation for refreshing. It's an invitation to come to him, to deal with stuff. Our writer calls us to be ruthless. Similarly, as Ben was encouraging us the other week, to be ruthless with it, deal with it. Come back and repent. Come and say, no, Lord, I've got myself... I can feel, it's kind of nipping at my heels. It's wrapping me around. It's holding me back. Now I want to deal with it. I need to come and repent. The sin that so easily entangles, but he's he's said more than that. Let's throw off everything that hinders. Whether that can be lies that we end up believing. That's freedom to be had. But also, so much that we could say, well, it's not wrong as such. But is it helpful? Is it helping me to know him, to believe him, to run after him? So many things that we can justify with, well, it's not wrong. I'm allowed to, aren't I? But that's just kind of signifying, is our attitude right? Are Are we looking at this right? Because the reality is, does it help me to run after my saviour? Does it help me to fix my eyes on him? Or in reality, is it hindering? Even seemingly good things. Things maybe we enjoy doing, but we know actually it's just causing us to be massively overstretched. Even noble desires, perhaps to serve in a particular way. Or or a kind of dream of a particular direction for your life. Maybe in things you think, God said this to me. Things that we can earnestly seek God for, and we can go after. Whether it's in areas of service, or perhaps in relationships, perhaps in terms of our career, in all sorts of ways. But even those things, it can be that they become a hindrance to us. Actually, what is, what's happening is I'm just waiting for this. I'm just hanging back until God brings that about. God says, no, come and run after me now. Come and run after me with everything. 
Yeah, those promises, they're still there. Those dreams, they're still there, but come and run after me. We're called to throw off everything that hinders. See, the author's pointing to our attitude, to our, to our hearts, like Paul does in Philippians 3, as we looked before. He says, no, this is my attitude. I consider everything else loss. I'm fixing my eyes on him. I'm focusing on him. See, that attitude, all I need is you. All I want is you, Jesus. And so for many of us, this may demand a response. Is there sin for us to deal with? Is there areas we need, to, need God to break in that we need, we need to hand to him? And say, I'm carrying this. It's painful, it's really, but it's truly painful. But I know I'm just being wrapped up in the hurt and the pain of it. I need to give that to you. Whether there's things to lay down or, or other things that they're not bad, perhaps, but that you know, they're getting in the way. I'm giving more attention to that than I am to God. Or it's distracting me from him. In all those things, radical decisions can be made today. He tells us, throw off everything that hinders. The sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance. But he doesn't stop there. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You see, this is the second part, if you like. But as we go through, we can't really separate them. Here's the key. He draws us to our saviour. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, he's already shown us it's not easy, this life of faith. It's not comfortable or always smooth. Therefore, we are called to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles and run with perseverance. But here we're drawn to find where our encouragement and hope comes from, where our salvation is found, where we are to fix our eyes. Fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, it's not since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, well then let's fix our eyes on them. They look like they did a pretty good job. Well, they can inspire us, we'll just look to them. Well, in one sense, yes, they can inspire us in some ways. We can read this and we're encouraged by the stories of, of David and of Abraham, of Gideon, of, of all the rest. But we're not being beaten over the head. Oi, look at them. They managed, so try harder. Do better. You should persevere like they did. No. Ultimately, that's not his message. Ultimately, his message is, since we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, witnesses to the faithfulness of God, witnesses to the fact, as we believe in God, look at what God did. We're drawn not to look at them. He spent a whole chapter looking at them, hasn't he? No, no, we're drawn ultimately not to look at them, but to look at Jesus. Drawn to the object of their faith. Not to their example itself. 
And you see, in seeing that, we see, we're reminded again, we're not in competition with others. It's not for comparing. We're told to run the race marked out for us. We all have a race to run. You see, it's so easy to get drawn into comparisons. We see others running their race and we think, oh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. We could do that as we look through Hebrews 11 and go, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be like Moses. I couldn't be like Abraham. I couldn't do that. Or, or we can alternatively, we can think, well, actually, looking around, I think I'm doing pretty well. Looking around here, perhaps. Or even, well, we might even get into our arrogant minds. Oh, looking at this list in here, I think I'm doing pretty well. No. No. It's not about comparing. We see we could take Paul's message in 1 Corinthians that I read before. We say, we're running as, as one who wants to win the prize. Running, running to win the prize. Oh yeah, well I'm going to beat everyone else. No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about saying, I've got to be better than everyone else. He's saying, I've been called to run a race. I'm going to run after my saviour with everything. Running as if to win. Not running just to amble along. It's not about comparing with the others. So easy to get drawn into a kind of comparison culture. Even if you're looking for car insurance. You can compare the market or you can look at that annoying man. I'm going to put him, put him in your head. That annoying man on the Go Compare adverts. And you'll get the tune stuck in your head. Go compare. Anyway. But he's not telling us to do that. Don't compare yourself with all of these. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. See, the author is clear. He's drawn our attention to all the stories, all these peoples, all these people, the great cloud of witnesses. Our response is not to be, oh, look how they did it. Let's learn all their techniques. No, in fact, we're called to do exactly what they did. Believe God. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you see, if we go right back to the beginning of chapter 11, this is what the ancients were commended for. For believing God. For having faith. We're to look to him, not to them. Why? Well, how does he describe him? fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to look to him, the one who's made the way, the one who was the pioneer, the one, the perfecter. The one who ultimately is the one who enables us to run in the first place. The one who calls us to run after him. The one who made it possible, as Hebrews 2 tells us in wonderful ways, in Hebrews 2 and verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered as the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. 
The one who makes it possible. The one who saves us. The one who strengthens us by his Holy Spirit. The one who is at work in us, completing what he started in us. See, the life of faith is not one judged, as it were, on a comparison website. One of comparing with our brothers and sisters and say, well, you've done a pretty good job, but they've done a bit better. They've done... This one's a bit better than that. Or even on the heroes of the past. But one in which we focus our lives, we focus our eyes, we focus everything on him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as he goes on, this is where our hope comes from. This is where our help comes from. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, Jesus, we've been told, he's the one who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. But you see that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he scorned its shame. Our writer understands that this will be tough. Running a marathon, I don't have any experience of, but Therefore, I can imagine it is very tough. But here is where our hope comes from. Consider him. Consider him. Fix our eyes on him. Focus everything on him. Could you see, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And we see in these verses, we have one who not only has made a way, has saved us, has set us free from sin and death. And so therefore, in one sense, we also can look at a joy, it's a different, don't hear me wrong, a joy set before us because of what he has done. He's made a way, he's won a way. So therefore we can look, because he endured the cross, taking our place, we're now free from death and sin. There There is utter joy set before us. He scorned its shame and therefore suffered the shame of sinners, of a sinner's death on a cross and so dealt with our shame. Washed us clean. And so therefore we can look to him in that sense and see the one who has meant that we have glory to come. We have a great glorious future where we will be with him forever. As he calls us to follow him, to look forward to that day, to the rewards of heaven, to the, to the glory of that final day when we will be with him. And we can see that's what, the, that's what he's reminded us, the author has reminded us that the ancients did. They saw him. And before Jesus even coming, they saw him and where he was leading. Fix our eyes on him. That's the encouragement. This is where we find our hope. He has won and he calls us on. But also consider him that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Because he is also the one who knows ultimately what it is to run the race. The one who understands. Our writer's already told us in Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's the one, he's the author, the pioneer, the the perfecter. He's the one who's made the way, but he's the one who understands. He's the one in whom we find help. He's the one in whom we find strength. He's the one in whom we find all hope. And he understands. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our author, he calls us, he's shown us a great picture. He's shown us God's plan at work through the ages. He's shown us a great cloud of examples and witnesses of the faithfulness of God and of believing in him. But he calls us to respond. Are we captivated by this great picture? Ultimately, are we captivated by our amazing saviour? Well then, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have a saviour who calls us, throw off everything that hinders, run after me. But we also have a saviour who says, come to me. Consider me. Come to me and find grace and help in your time of need. He's the one who has saved us. He's the one who pours out his spirit. He calls us to follow him. So whatever our response is today, we may be very struck. This needs throwing off. This needs dealing with today. Then that's what we can do. But equally, it might be that we need to fix our eyes in a particular way, consider him so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. And in the weariness and trouble of life, actually the call today is to come and fix your eyes on him again. That you might find grace and mercy in, the time of, in your time of need. We have opportunity, we can respond in a moment, but let's pray 